Welcome to season two, episode seven of the Sand Dune podcast. Uh, you are back to a regularly scheduled programming with your hosts, Hans and Frank. And if you'd like to join the conversation, send us your tweets, Sand Dune podcast, or email us talk at sandune.org. Uh, welcome back. We went off last two episodes into a little bit of creative land and talked about crypto and Web3. So Frank, what did you think of that experience? I thought it was fun to get a bunch of stuff off our chests. I think uh, we each have a lot of questions to ask the other about their particular performance. So I think we'll be covering that in um, some future shows. Yeah, for me, it felt like a lot of work. Like it was trying to put a script together, then do the recording. And I still think I've got some things to learn about how to do audio properly. And I'm actually kind of impressed that we've been doing this over Zoom all this time and you've managed to edit the audio that it's actually sounded pretty good. But it was it was a lot of work. And as much as I enjoyed it and I thought it was kind of funny and you know, maybe people thought it was stupid, but it it allowed me to do something and just put it together and it was it was different. So I, I I thought it was interesting to do it. Yeah, it was fun on my side too. Although I kind of was a little more off the cuff. It is hard. I did one version of the show actually. I I did it, I listened to it uh, on my own and I'm like, oh this is awful. So <laughs> then I had to kind of do a you know retool, take more notes. It's actually a lot harder to do, you know, a solid 30 minutes of material. Uh, of your own by yourself than it is to do an interview format or a panel format. Yeah, uh, I think that's absolutely. why it's it's so popular for podcasts to be, you know, two, three, five, yeah. ten people. Yeah. Well, particularly when you can have guests, you can ask impromptu questions of um so let me treat you a little bit like a guest today. Uh hopefully our internet connection will be solid enough for the audio. I, I'm already getting little warnings on my computer in Zoom saying the audio is breaking up or something. But let me treat you like a guest and actually ask you a couple of questions about uh, your, I guess, discussion of Web3 and crypto. May I do that? Sure. All right. So uh, I thought that your critique of the Super Bowl ads, uh, which were the, you know, be brave and don't be an idiot by not taking your hard-earned money and throwing it into crypto was was particularly uh, useful. Now, which of the ads, did all of the ads basically do that? Yes. Uh, except the Coinbase ad, which was the one that the, you know, the CEO took credit for. And it turned out actually that the ad agency had pitched them on it months before. And um, <laughs> it was kind of funny when the ad agency actually called them out, because of course, as a brand new tech company, the CEO flew out there on Twitter and said, this is why you don't need agencies. This is why you don't need creative because we're so awesome on our own. And actually the people that pitched it to them said, well, no, we actually pitched you that exact idea on these dates, these times. So there was like a huge <laughs> silence. So, yeah. you know, you know, tech founder craps on people around them is not a new story, but um, the right. other ads, right? Crypto.com is Matt Damon telling you you're a loser. Um, and the other one that was new was the Larry David commercial with the guy behind Seinfeld and the guy on Curb Your Enthusiasm, who is kind of, is the self-styled, you know, greatest loser on earth kind of guy. Um, and it shows him constantly turning down all the greatest ideas throughout time. Like he thinks the wheel is no good. You know, he thinks all these other things don't work. And so somebody shows him some app for one of these random exchanges. And he's like, no, I don't think so. And that's the pitch. Yep. 
the pitch is, you know, don't be an idiot. Uh, the pitch isn't, you know, any of the utility or usefulness or any of the other things around. But I yeah. just thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, it's the, the fear of missing out is literally the headline. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think now we are recording this after the events in the Ukraine have started and there's all this talk about crypto being the way to save the Russian economy. And I'm like, you know, it's like it adds even more credibility to the fact that this is this technology is just going to be used for evading uh, the government. And in this well, case, the democratic governments. You, you read a lot of tweets from the, the crypto people going, well, this is, you know, this is the it proves it. Now you can move money without the involvement of governments getting in your way. Think, oh, okay, you want to move, you want to move Russia's money around is moving Russia's money around is, is the use case that proves the value of your technology. Great. <laughs> the reality though, is the Russian oligarchs have ways of moving money around anyway. Um, and they'd have to, the, the banks would have to do all kinds of stuff to actually work on top of crypto. But, but the thing is, what would kill it faster as a currency than to have like the pariah nation using it? It would mean every bank and every government on earth would enact controls against it overnight. It's a yep. regulatory nightmare for Bitcoin. And they're out there jumping around on Twitter as if it's the best thing that ever happened. It shows you how, you know, how much foresight some of these people have. All right. So this ties back into, I guess, the other piece of what you talked about, which was this idea of why wasn't I consulted? And I guess you said that was like a meme from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I have to find the link. Um, but the it wasn't a meme. It was somebody's HTML 1.0, <laughs> them writing all their pithy stuff down. But the idea is that implicit in everything everyone does on the internet in terms of leaving comments or likes or things like that is the unspoken phrase, why wasn't I consulted, right? The unspoken phrase that yeah. I have to have my two cents in everything because- Every, that, Everybody has to comment. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs to have a comment on this before you know it's done. Yeah. And Now, I, I did say, maybe this is the last part of your presentation, but you talked about how the one kind of nice thing about this crypto slash blockchain technology thing was how it's kind of like a new bedrock of technology or at least a new thing that is exciting. And that actually that part of this thing is actually good. And I, I thought you, I think you raised a pretty good point on that because the other things that we have seen after the initial web creation and the initial let's turn this to business technology, um, they, they were not as exciting or at least certainly not as much controversial and talked about as what uh, what this new technology is all about. Yeah, it was it was really the, the feeling that you didn't get with a lot of the technologies in the early 2010s. So Facebook, in social media, well, those platforms, you know, kind of rolled up under you and you kind of played by their rules. And Apple's App Store kind of was already the platform you had to play on. Whereas with the original web, you were, you know, we were, you and I, 
and a lot of people we know building services, you know, right on top of stuff. It was building right on top you know, of the ground. There's that feeling again, if it's deserved or not, it is is yet to be seen. But there is that feeling in the Web3 community that, hey, it's green field now. And there's a special kind of like fun and excitement that comes from that, I think. And that that's one of the things I think that's a good part about it. And it's hard to lose track of. And it's really hard to get down on people who are that excited about something. Yeah. And, you know, I think as we, it may sound to their listeners that we were either being overly critical or in my case, perhaps a little bit, you know, comical about it. But the reason, like, at least for me, the reason I'm not willing to come straight out and condemn all this stuff is less about that I don't want someone to come rant at me because someone wants to rant at us and they can come rant at us if they want to. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of friends or at least some friends that I know who have invested in this stuff and who are spending their time working on these technologies. Um, I'm still pretty skeptical about it all. And I think we'll be watching uh, a contraction of this technology and it'll be kind of interesting to see. And that's why I think you're connection to, hey, we watched the dot-com systems implode. Uh, we'll probably see that with this as well. And there are some kids, so to speak, who have a lot of lessons to learn, and they will take that on into the future. But the, the only thing that worries me a little bit is if we do see like a big collapse in the blockchain currencies and the various work that's being done on it, afterwards, people may not want to do any of it again. Whereas with the dot-com implosion, there was certainly a reluctance to invest in some technology companies afterwards, but there was still the people who worked in that field went on to go work at legitimate companies who were then using that technology they had learned about to build the brick and mortar websites and the e-businesses of the future. So I don't know. I, I I doubt that what they do now with this technology is particularly transferable to something else in the future, because I think it's still looking for use. Well, I think they believe it all is a thousand percent, a million percent. That's what they believe, transferable, and that they are currently now building the underpinnings of everything. Now, they don't, I, I believe, as you just said, I, I'm a firm believer there's a huge contraction coming. If you remember the dot-com crash, though, a lot of people didn't turn around and go work for reputable companies. They just left the space entirely because to be honest with you, they were just being hired because they could breathe, right? There were people who were being hired simply because they knew what HTML was. There was just so much money flying around. Yep. So there were a certain number of, there was a huge exodus from, you know, the tech hubs when everything crashed because there were no jobs. And, you know, there wasn't a skill set that was useful after that point. So there are zillions of people who did work in, you know, dot coms stuff who ended up doing other things. And it's going to be the same in Web3. It's a very, but it's even a more esoteric set of skills. But, you know, Web3 is made up of whatever, whoever's talking about it wants to say it's made up of. There are a lot of people who insist that the multiverse is part of it. There are people who insist that AI is part of it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, so I'm back in the United States and uh, I was... We had last time we had spoken on a regular episode, uh, you were planning on building a Kickstarter game or kickstarting a card game, I should say. Uh, 
and uh, I haven't heard anything yet, so I'm I'm going to be waiting with uh, anticipation. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really started that yet. I should soon. All right. Well, I'll help you on that. So, two things I was going to talk about today um, is around just two news articles I had seen. Uh, but I think we've set our piece on the crypto web three technologies. Was there anything else you thought we had to add? I don't think we'll ever be done with it, but for tonight, yeah, we're, we pretty much killed it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, we try to be creative uh, and uh, our both our stories are in the last two episodes. So we hope you enjoyed that. I read some articles uh, recently one was an interesting, to me anyway, a story about how Meta has just settled a Facebook lawsuit. Uh, apparently, back in 2010 and 2011, if you were logged into Facebook and you went around the web and clicked the like button, you would effectively be tracked. And kind of people sort of knew that if they knew the technology, if they didn't know anything about technology, they had no idea what was going on. But uh, they got sued, and now Facebook has agreed to pay out $90 million to settle that lawsuit about that if you had logged out of Facebook, that the like button would still track you. And the lawsuit said, that's no good. Now, the reason why I thought this article was interesting to talk about from a privacy standpoint is not that it's about meta or that it's about the like button, or because it's you know 12 years old here, is that... Companies that are kind of starting up and they are building new technologies, if these lawsuits do in fact take 10 years to eventually get to a point where there's money paid out, well, there's very little incentive for that startup to behave well in those early years of the startup because either within 10 years they're out of business and no one can sue them anymore, or by the time they kind of get to a size that matters and anyone is willing to sue them, then they're so large that $90 million is nothing to them. So I'm wondering, I, I mean, I know with our transparency push, we stuff like this should be e less easy to hide. And, you know, it, there are people who might be watching, even if it might be just very few people. But I'm curious to, to know kind of what your thoughts on this are in, in terms of does the transparency angle on this help in this case or does it just make it easier for you know let's say an attorney later on to come back and look at all your stuff and be like hey here's what you did wrong it's an interesting question if you did something wrong and weren't making a remedy for it yeah you would be liable for it so the transparency would also have to be connected with some sort of ethics right and i say ethics because very large companies like facebook operate expecting that they're going to have to pay fines. It's just a cost of doing business. And they understand the ethics of what they're doing. They didn't go, oh, oopsie, I guess that was bad after the fact. No, they went, I'm going to get more users with this and I don't really care what the effect is because whatever I pay down the road, it's going to pale in comparison to the money I make until I get caught. Facebook did it, Uber did it, Google does it, everyone does it. So in their case, being transparent would be bad because they're actually trying to conceal some. So then the thinking there is that if you and your employees know that, hey, we're being transparent about all the decisions that are effectively made within the company, then you really do have to be careful and you have to say, hey, you know, we're not going to, if if anybody raises a concern saying, hey, you know, this like button, if you log out, it's not working, or it does something that we don't expect it to, 
then you're kind of sitting in a room knowing that the future attorneys are going to look at the conversation you had and be like, hey, <laughs> this is wrong. So it should force you into making better decisions. Yeah, it, it forces you into making better decisions on the spot, especially if you're, you know, if your aim is to be there for your customer understood as a customer. Users were actually the product for social media. So it's a little bit of a different calculus there. That's true. Yep. All right. Now, the other interesting story to me, and I know you may not even have any comments on it, but um, a little while ago, uh, one of the uh, online YouTubers who does a lot of gaming reviews and so on uh, started having some complaints with a company called Newegg. They sell computer hardware equipment for the most part. And he went on this sort of multi-video rant about how they had done something to him in their returns department. He was unhappy about it. And then he went into a back and forth with the company on YouTube streaming and Twitter feeds about how what they're doing to their regular customers was no good. And what it ended up resulting in is him traveling out to California and actually meeting with some of the executives of the company and them sitting in a room talking about their returns policies. Now, I've never seen anything like this before. I'm massively surprised that Newegg agreed to this. I will give them like points for being willing to talk to somebody on camera about their things. It's it's almost had a bit of a 60 minutes kind of vibe to it. But I think at the end of it, um, the the person who is doing the, the the complaining, so to speak, on behalf of all of these people that had complained to him about what Newegg was doing was rather, um, I don't know, it was a little silly, even though I think he was earnest in what he was trying to accomplish. But he had a, what did you describe it as the kind of complex that he had uh savior influencer i think i said <laughs> yes that's right the savior influencer con complex well so now what makes me wonder is that okay so you're running a transparent company and you allow a lot of people to look at your stuff and you kind of want attention right for both your products but also the process in which you're operating and so the big question is if let's say there's a YouTuber that happens to be in your industry and they say, hey, I want to do an interview with you. Well, you probably say yes to that, depending on what the what the context is. But if you have done something that some of your users consider questionable and you now have someone with a savior complex that comes in and is all like, hey, let me talk to you about all the processes based on all the experience I have with running an online business, um, which <laughs> this guy had some experience, let's put it that way, to be kind. Uh, you know, what What do you think the, the approach that a transparent company should take in a situation like this? Should they talk to a YouTuber influencer or what should they do? I think there's a certain amount of public outreach you would set aside. The situation precipitated with Newegg because they were being so opaque about everything. That's that's how this whole thing started. So it, it certainly wouldn't come together the same way. I think, and I'd have to think about that. I think the transparent approach would, it's like having an activist investor in your face without all any of the risk. So 
honestly, yeah, I think you should probably be able to say, you know, just about whatever you'd like if you were being transparent. It would come down to though how much time you had for that, right? I I, I yeah. kind of envisioned if you're running a transparent company that you almost have like an MC who is sort <laughs> of juggling your public content and trying to kind of give it some context. Because that, that's the thing that everything is missing when you just do dumps is is the context. I think that's a that's a really interesting potential add-on concept to transparency. So you could just dump a million documents and say, have fun, like you know, with uh, Remington did with the uh, uh, the Sandy Hook cases against the gun manufacturer. They just kept giving them material, and even the, they just gave them whatever was in the file cabinets. If it had, if it was old newspapers, right, and instructions to industrial equipment and stuff like that. Um, kind of with that whole spite, like, okay, you can make sense of it. Um, I think if you want to be transparent and be successful at it, you have to maybe not lead someone to a conclusion, but at least, you know, be able to show someone around your data room. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about this in a couple episodes ago when we were not doing our, our, our creative efforts there, uh, where, where, how do you go about presenting the information that you want to present? So you may go ahead and record the meetings that you do and even have them live streamed and available for posterity in some sense and maybe having notes, but definitely having this idea of how do you go about documenting these meetings and the decisions that are made becomes kind of an important aspect for not just content curation, but also how someone interprets the information. And so now we're looking at really a perspective put on top of it, almost to some extent, maybe even a spin of, hey, this decision was made, and we know there maybe were some consequences to that decision, or maybe you go back in future meetings and you say, hey, we made this decision six months ago, didn't quite work out the way we expected it to, and this is the context of it. And then you have a deep link back to that other episode, or now I'm thinking in podcast terms, but that other decision recording where you say, hey, at this meeting, we did this, but then there was a thing that followed on six months later where we had to reevaluate because we came to these other conclusions. I mean, it could be a lot of work that certainly for a startup would be kind of useless to do, but maybe for a more established company that might be a worthwhile effort. Well, ironically, uh, that's kind of the CEO's job is to actually give context to all of the reports and everything else. the CEO, he or she is the one who goes in front of the board and explains everything. And when you're being transparent, obviously you treat everyone like they're the board, right? You give, you know, a view into the company that way. So it actually it comes down to out of the chief's office, you know, it's a CEO function. And so maybe it isn't so incredibly hard. And uh, a lot of startups are super transparent anyway from the beginning, because they're all on talking about, oh, look at what we're doing. Look at us, look at us. And <laughs> Honestly, that's not too far off from you know what we are thinking about you know six years down the road. You're like, well, hey, look look at us, look what we're doing now, and we're doing now. Yeah, fair fair enough. Well, those are all the articles I had to present. Uh, I think we're probably a little bit over twenty minutes now. So mm-hmm. should we wrap up? All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, once again, tweet us your tweets, Sandune Podcast, or talk at sandune.org over email. And we'll look forward to seeing you guys next week. Bye, everybody. The information provided in this podcast is not intended to constitute legal, financial, 
health, ontological, mixological or spiritual advice. All content is for entertainment purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney, financial advisor, doctor, bartender, or guru respectively to obtain advice regarding particular life matters. None of this is our fault. No individual animals were harmed in the making of this podcast although one or two entire species may have been rendered extinct. If so, our bad. Copyright 2022.